Psalm 45. Father, we just thank you and praise you again. We're going to continue in our worship. Worship is not just singing. We know from your word, Father, that worship is a totally surrendered life 24-7. And that's, that's just so hard to do. We're human. But Lord, we just come before you right now and we say thank you for all that you've done. And, and now just give us this focus, Lord. Spending time together, one family, listening to your word. Help us to hear corporately if there's something that we need to change or do differently or whatever the case may be. Help us to listen individually, whatever age we are, we find ourselves at, that we would love your word and allow your Holy Spirit to minister to us right now. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 45, to the chief musician set to the lilies, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love. You know, this is a song that, that would have been sung at a wedding, possibly, we don't know for sure, possibly Solomon's, who married an Egyptian princess, and you can see that in First, First Kings 3.1. And as we move through this psalm, we'll see various verses in reference to a person, and that's why they assume it could possibly be Solomon, of great wealth and position. But some of the verses... Uh, don't fit Solomon. Verses 3 through 5 speak of a warrior, which we know Solomon was not. Verse 6 and 7 speak of a throne, and not just any throne, but the throne of God. The throne of God. And this song, psalm could have been sung at the sanctuary as well. And, and so we can be assured that this psalm was not just written for a human king, as we read through it. But for the king of kings, now that we have the rest of the story, for the king of kings and his bride, the church. So verses 1 through 5, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. Notice first of all, the, the inspired writer was so excited about writing this psalm that he says his heart was overflowing. And I know for us guys specifically, um, we might not be able to identify with that. The picture that I get in my mind is on the wedding day, if you've had one of those traditional weddings, when you're up with the pastor at the front, the doors are closed, people have come in, and then all of a sudden, your bride, not just any bride, but it's now your bride, starts coming up that aisle, you are just overwhelmed, no matter how hard you think you are. You are just overwhelmed with emotions. That is my wife, my bride. I'm getting married today. That can be scary. But at that moment, you're over, you're overwhelmed with joy. And here the, 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 uh, the writer says, my heart is overflowing with the good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things." Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. 
If we look at this as a messianic psalm, and you'll see why in a few minutes, the writer was looking at God's goodness and faithfulness towards his people through the eyes of the Messiah. Through the eyes of the Messiah. It's the word grace. The word grace is defined as unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. That's how you and I were saved. By grace through faith. Not because we came to church and punched the clock and said so many prayers and gave some money and knocked on some doors and passed out pamphlets. No, no. It's only by grace. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. And for us today, we know that grace came through Jesus the Messiah. You know, John 1.17 says this, For the law was given through Moses, and that was to bring us to our knowledge that we even needed a Savior. Because how would I know I needed a Savior if the law didn't tell me, Thou shall not kill, or thou shall not steal, or thou shall not covet. No, that's what the law was for. It wasn't so that I could fulfill the law and then I'd get to heaven, because that's impossible. But it was to drive me from my knowledge, I need a Savior. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. And that's key to our psalm this morning. You see, for the most part, whomever Jesus came in contact with, he poured forth, he poured forth God's grace upon them. This earthly king had a sword. But notice his words in verse 4 there. His words and teachings caused prosperity. And just as an earthly enemy fell due to the arrows of the king in verse 5 there, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And eventually... Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before the throne of God in heaven. You see, in the throne of God in heaven, there is no injustice at all. And that is why all people will fall under the mighty hand of the Lord. Verses 6 and 7, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So notice they're not speaking of an earthly king here. They're speaking of God the Father. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And in your Bible, the Y is most likely capitalized. It should be. If not, get a different Bible. Because speaking of God, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now, that might sound familiar to you if you're reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, which I encourage you to do, because Paul makes reference to these exact verses. Hebrews 1, 8, and 9, these exact verses are referenced, and they specifically are in reference to Jesus being the Messiah. So when a Jehovah Witness comes and knocks on your door, you don't argue religion with them. You take them to Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, Because Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 make it very, very clear that Jesus is not an angel. That Jesus has not been reincarnated. No, Jesus is God. And so as you read verses, and that's why you want to read from Genesis to Revelation, it's like that those puzzle pieces and the puzzle, you see the outline of the puzzle on the wall. And I know a lot of people have a hard time with the scriptures, but as you just kind of envision a wall and you see the the black outline of the of the puzzle pieces, 
And you just go, okay, it's, 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 a, it's a puzzle. I, I can see it's a puzzle. But as you start to read the word, all of a sudden you, you get a piece and you stick a piece up and, okay, doesn't mean anything. This is boring. I'm going to stop reading my Bible. No, 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 no. Keep reading your Bible. Because as you keep reading your Bible, then you get a piece in the old and you get a piece in the new. And, and all of a sudden you see that this New Testament piece goes over here and the old goes over here. And all of a sudden you start to see a small picture. And here and here. And all of a sudden the picture becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. You see, the old is referenced in the new. We want to read both. And allow that puzzle to take shape and to, to start to come out into our minds. Jesus is the Messiah. There is no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. So don't argue religion. Just take them to the Bible and show them specific verses. For Jehovah Witnesses, some of the best verses are Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. It, it just blows it out of the water. Jesus is not an angel. Verses 8 and 9, All your garments are scented with myrrh and alloys and cassia out of the ivory palaces. So now we're going back to the earthly king. Out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Again, possibly a reference to King Solomon. You see, Solomon was chosen above his other brothers to sit on the throne of his father David. He had everything, when you think of Solomon... He had everything that this life could offer as far as conveniences and pleasures. He was the wealthiest and the wisest man that had ever lived. Yet, as you study the word of God, you see that Solomon got away from the basics of the faith. He married foreign women and he ended up worshiping idols that these foreign women worshipped. We have to be very, very careful who we hang around with, who we marry, who we date, who we fellowship with. And never get into this mentality, well, it'll never happen to me. It happened to Solomon, the wealthiest and the wisest man who ever lived. It can happen to you. Be very, very careful. 9 through 10, I'm sorry, 10 through 12. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So here we see the leave and the cleave. You're to leave your parents and you're to cleave to your mate. Now again, it doesn't mean you don't go on the extreme and forsake them, forget them, don't have anything to do with them, blah, blah. No, no, no. That's not what the scriptures are saying. You want to read all of the scriptures. But the point is being made to leave and cleave. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. You see, the king was going to care for his bride as the bride was to leave her family and cleave to her husband. The Lord cares for his church and desires for the believer. This is for you and I. To never look back to the world's systems for our answers, which we so often do, unfortunately. And then after we've exhausted all our resources, we finally say, what? Well, I guess I'll pray. Or I guess I'll I'll maybe talk to someone about the Bible. It's my last hope. No, that should be our very first hope. 
You see, we are to leave the worldly elements behind and seek after those things that are above. Verses 13 through 15, the royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing, they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. So you, you see this beautiful picture of what's going to take place after the wedding day. The bride, the bride is going to be clothed with the, with the royal robes of the kingdom. They're going to be absolutely beautiful, and that's what people are going to see. Her beauty for you and I. It's the Lord's robes of righteousness that brings forth our beauty. Let's look at Revelation 19. Let's look at Revelation 19. And if you're not familiar with your Bible, which I encourage you to become familiar with your Bible and not just a Bible app, it's the very last book of the Bible. And we read this. Then a voice came from the throne. This is the throne of God saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who reverence him, those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, now the I here is John the Apostle, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is John the Apostle writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, so these are people. It's this great multitude, it's innumerable as John is in heaven and seeing this play out. They're saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. The bride of Christ, the church. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. You and me, we are going to be wearing fine linen. Clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That be you and me. Every Bible believer on the face of this earth, we are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This life of 70, 80, 90 years, temporary. We are going to heaven and we're going to see Jesus and God the Father. And he said to me, these are tr- the true sayings of God. As you look back in Psalm 45. Instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered to all generations. You're there. Again, capitalized. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. Here, a blessing was placed upon the marriage and the sons would carry on God's blessings from generation to generation. And that's why you and I are here today. That's why you and I are here today because God has passed that blessing throughout the generations due to His faithfulness, not ours. 
And again, that's why we at Calvary here and many other Bible-believing churches place such a high regard upon the name of Jesus. And that's why you need to read your Bible to understand who Jesus is because other religions don't place that same value on the name of Jesus. The Mormons will come and say, well, we worship the same Jesus. No, we do not. You need to say that right up front in a loving way. No, we do not. Our Jesus is God, the Son of God. He is not a spirit baby. He is not one of many gods. He is the Son of God. And again, you just take them to verses in your Bible to explain that in love because the Word of God is powerful and effective. And it's through the Word of God that people come to know Jesus, not through the words of arguments. If you think you're smart at arguing, trust me, there's somebody smarter behind you who will argue them out. It's not a matter of arguing. It's a matter of taking them to the Word of God and showing that Jesus is God and that every knee shall bow, including the unbeliever. Every knee shall bow down to the name of Jesus eventually. Well, Psalm 46, to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Elamoth. Now, the historical background of this psalm is probably during the reign of King Hezekiah. And in 2 Kings 18 19, 2 Chronicles 32, we'll leave that up there for a few minutes, you can write it down. The next three psalms are believed to be directly related to King Hezekiah. These next three psalms, 46, 47, and 48. They express God's goodness in delivering his children out of the sinful hands of man. And we will see that there are personal pronouns in these psalms of we, us, our. So this is a psalm of encouragement for the whole congregation. It's also a psalm, in Psalm 46 specifically, where the emphasis is the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. So, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. I actually have that highlighted in my Bible. I would encourage you to highlight that. The word present means to come forth to. To come forth to. A very present help in trouble. So it's not like I I go to God and 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 I go to God. I go. No, I go to God. And God comes to me because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And I think sometimes people just get this this concept of, well, I constantly need to go to God and I never hear from him. I go to God and never hear from him. I go to God and never hear from him. It's probably because you're too busy. And you're not stopping and listening. Because I can guarantee you when we go to God, he comes to us. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. But we can get ourselves so busy that we don't hear from God. And so then we blame God. No, he is a very present help in trouble. He comes forth to us. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth is removed, be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. Think about that. You see, God, our Heavenly Father, is always with us. He was with Hezekiah. He knows where we are and what we need. He knows how to deliver us and always, always comes to our rescue when we call out to Him. 
The word trouble here is defined as tightness. Tightness. How many of you can identify with that in your Christian walk? Have you ever been in a tight spot? Spiritually, physically, whatever the case may be. Anybody been in a tight spot in your Christian walk? Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Nobody's going to hurt you. It happens. Well, how do we get out of that tight spot? Through our own ingenuity. Through our own know-how. I can do it. I can make this happen. By going to God. And yes, God may give you certain abilities that help get you out of that, but it's first and foremost going to God. So that we get into that habit of always going to God. Let's look at 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings 19, 6 through 7. And we're going to go back there again. So you might want to maybe put the bulletin there or something. 2 Kings 19, 6 says, And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, speaking to King Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Notice that. Have blasphemed me. Yes, they're coming against King Hezekiah. Yes, they're coming against Jerusalem, these enemies. But God knows what's going on. This hasn't escaped God. And so God, through Isaiah, says, hey, let them know. Let them know. They're blaspheming me. I know what's going on, Hezekiah. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. Now, this is the leader of the Assyrian army who's being spoken of here. Again, read the whole chapter so you can get the full picture. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And again, as you read the story, you'll find out what took place. So I won't spoil it for you. Read the word. You see, God has a way of delivering his kids out of their troubles, no matter how difficult it may appear to them. Now again, this doesn't mean that I go out and blatantly sin and expect God to deliver me. Well, I'm just going to date this unbeliever and God will make it right. Bad idea. Very bad idea. You see, King Hezekiah was seeking after God with all of his heart as you read the whole story. And the enemy came to mock the living God. Now listen to what Solomon was inspired to write when a person is found seeking after God in Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord. Well, how would I know if my ways are pleasing God? By being in his word, by praying, by following after his footsteps. That That's pleasing to the Lord. Notice what happens. He makes even his enemies... To be at peace with him. I've experienced this in my own life. It actually works. But we do have to do our parts. Back into Psalm 46, 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The her here is, I believe, referencing Jerusalem. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Again, Selah, pause. What do you think about that? 
And as we look about at King Hezekiah, he was a very industrious man. He built an underground waterway. It's still there today. You can actually, when we go on tour, you can actually go down to it. You can actually walk through it, and it comes out to the Pool of Siloam. It starts in the Kidron Valley, goes through Jerusalem, and again, it comes out to the Pool of Siloam. And that should sound familiar to you. Remember in John chapter 9, Jesus came out of the temple area. There was a blind man sitting there. He spit in the ground, made mud, rubbed it in the guy's eyes. And what did Jesus say? Go to the pool of Siloam. This is the very pool. They've unearthed it in recent, in the last few decades. They, they, they hadn't found it. Now it's unearthed. Again, you can actually go there and sit around the pool of Siloam. As the politicians and as the enemy of the Jewish people argue about whether the Jews were there or not, as they keep digging and uncovering, there's no questions that the Jews were been in Jerusalem for 3,000 years. There's no question. But, you know, read your Bible. The news won't tell you that. Let's look at a few verses. Very quickly, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. You see, water in Israel is just like us in the desert. Water is very, very precious. And here the people are rejoicing over the fact that God provided that precious resource through the ingenuity of a man. So he does give mankind wisdom and discernment. But we also want to look at the eternal perspective. And John chapter 4.14 says this, as Jesus comes and talks to this woman at the well, a sinner, again, pouring forth God's grace, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Jesus was not talking about physical. She was thinking physical. He was talking about spiritual. People who are religious are always thirsty. For you and I, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, that spiritual void is fulfilled and we no longer have that same spiritual thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Let's look at John chapter 7, 37 and 39. As Jesus is in the Jerusalem celebrating a feast, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And I don't have time to explain the whole feast. Do a study on this specific feast and do a study in John chapter 7. They actually go down to the pool of Siloam and they take water back to the temple mount for seven days. And on the eighth day, they take back an empty pitcher. And as they're symbolically pouring that empty pitcher, they then pray and there's total silence on the temple mount. Thousands Tens of thousands of people to this day can fit on the Temple Mount. So there could have been tens of thousands of people, utter silence. And this is when Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, empty pitcher, we need God. We need God. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
And then lastly, let's look at Revelation chapter 22, 16 and 17. Revelation 22, 16 and 17. Jesus speaking, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And that's what we're doing this morning. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. I'm the Messiah. I am the Messiah. And the spirit and the bride said, come. And let him who hears say, come. And that's for you and me as we go out this week to our workplaces or neighborhoods or or the store or wherever it might be and you cross people's paths. You might have, I might have the opportunity to say, come. We're celebrating Christmas. Come. Come where? Come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. It says, come, let him who says here come. Let him who thirsts come. You see people, they're still thirsting. They're a billion, you know, think about this. And if you think of his Hinduism, Hindus, Islam, Roman Catholicism, that's four, over four, it's close to five billion people. Five billion people in those three religions are thirsting after God. They really are. It's a false God, but they're sincere in their false beliefs. We have to give them that credit. So guys, it's not like there's a lack of people that need Jesus. Just in three religions, there's five billion people. That's that's pretty good odds for you and me. So even as we walk around, we want to be aware of that, that there are people who are thirsting. They're trying to fill that void that you and I have filled through Jesus, the true Jesus. So for you and I, we get that opportunity to take them to Jesus. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Freely for you and I. And for those who cross our paths, we need to remember it's free. Because back in Psalm 46, the Lord of hosts is with us. That's you and me, guys. The Holy Spirit. We have the water of life within us. The God of Jacob. Notice that Jacob is referenced here. That conniver, that deceiver, that manipulator. But what does the scripture say? The God of Jacob is our refuge. We can find a little bit of Jacob in all of us. We've got to keep going back to God. Keep going back to God. Come, behold the works of the Lord, in verse 8, who has made desolation, desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Let's look back at Second Kings 19. Remember I mentioned, put your hand there or something there. As I referenced earlier, King Hezekiah was overwhelmed by the forces of the enemy, but God was on his side. And I encourage you to remember this. God and the believer, God and the believer against any enemy is the overwhelming odds in the believer's favor. Oh, I just got God. (laughs) Really? That's all you got? Wow. The one who spoke everything into being, that's, that's all you have. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if you're gonna be able to defeat the enemy with just that. No, let's always remember we have God on our side. Now in 2 Kings 19, 32 through 35, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. 
By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God's promise. And that's why Israel has Jerusalem today. It doesn't matter to me what the president does. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Jerusalem is the eternal capital of Israel. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. Now this is an angel. Just one angel. Killed 185,000 warriors. Not even God. Just, just one angel. And we have God. So what do we have to fear? And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Now again, as you read the whole story, go home and read this today. It's an incredible story. And from these verses, we can truly understand what it means to be still. To be still as we go on and finish up these verses in the Psalms here. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Again, I have this verse highlighted in my Bible. Highlight your Bible. Underline it. Do something with your Bible. Wear it out. So when somebody finds it, they don't go to open it and go, (laughs) Open your Bible and highlight it. So I wonder why they highlighted that. Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Guys, when we read a big story like that, we can just think that that just means big things. But when something comes into your life and those around you know it happened, like say for Claudia with her cancer situation, we were exalting God through that whole thing. We, we didn't know how it was going to turn out. And every time she, she goes to the doctor or she hears a, a story of a person who comes up to her and shares a story about, well, my friend was clean for five years and then they got cancer again. Where do you think her head goes? Immediately to, okay, that's, that could be me. And it could. It could. We're not naming and claiming, blabbing and grabbing. We're following God. It could. But he's still God. And we're going to exalt him and praise him and glorify him. Which means we need to be still and know that I am God. Those two words there mean to be still. It means to slacken, to relax, to let drop. You know, it's it's that phrase that, that you've probably heard, let go and let God. And when you're in the midst of something and somebody says that to you, it's kind of like, give me your face, I want to slap you. It's too simplistic. But it's true. It's not easy to get there. But it is something that we have to get to. Because there is only one God and we know that He is God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Again, notice that. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He was industrious, Jacob was. And as I mentioned earlier, he often tried to take things into his own hands. Let me say this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do anything at all. That would be a very poor choice. 
But we do need to learn the balance of doing our part and then allowing God to do the rest. Yes, we do need to do our part. We went to doctors. We did what they encouraged us to do. And you know, when you get into these situations, it's this simple. It's charts and graphs. When you sit in an oncologist's office, it's charts and graphs. You have this type of cancer. We've charted this for so many years. If you do this, this, and this, these are your percentages. If you do this, this is your percentage. If you do this, this is your percentage. And then everybody comes at you at the same time with good intentions. Well, you know, don't do anything. Just go natural. And everybody has their own suggestions, this, that, and the other thing. You have to be still. You have to pray. You have to hear from God. You have to wait upon the Lord. And then you start moving forward. And he'll give you that peace that surpasses understanding. Even in the midst of all those voices that are coming at you, he will give you that peace. But you have to do your part, and I have to do my part. And as we do that, we can know for certain, the Lord of hosts is with us. Guys, I cannot say this enough. And I know for some of you, maybe sitting here, you're probably going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you get on, please? We'd like to go to lunch. The Lord of hosts, God When you go to lunch, dwells within you. You're not leaving him in this building when you leave. The church leaves. This is just a building. We trashed it last night, cleaned it up. It's just a building. You leave. The Lord God Almighty leaves with you. He doesn't stay here waiting for you to show up Wednesday night. He leaves with you. Whatever you're going through, be still And know that I am God. Guys, if we can get that, just that part of the verse, drilled into our heads and taken down into our hearts, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what the enemy tries to throw against us, we're going to go back to that rock. It's crazy. Be still. This is nuts. Be still. I don't understand. Be still. Drill it into your soul. And you will find yourself getting there. And you will find yourself having the peace that surpasses understanding even in the midst of storms. Like Hezekiah. Hezekiah laid it out. He was still. And God took care of 185,000 warriors. God will take care of you. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Lord, we just need to drill this principle into our head, down into our heart, every single day, hour upon hour, moment by moment, sometimes even second upon second, that we just have to be still. We have to relax. We have to put it back into your lap that you might be exalted in our lives that you would be exalted through our testimony. Because you, according to your word, you work all things together for the good. All things. Help us, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.